we put so many stereotypes and expectations in the world of education. If you are excited or interested in uh, careers associated with STEM and CS, but you're worried that your math skills aren't necessarily there, it's okay. The topic for today's podcast is a journey from the humanities to STEM with Michelle McGinnis. Unpacking Education is brought to you by AVID.org. AVID believes in seeing the potential of every student. To learn more about AVID, visit their website at AVID.org. Welcome to Unpacking Education, the podcast where we explore current issues and best practices in education. I'm Rena Clark. I'm Paul Beckerman. And I'm Winston Benjamin. We are educators. And we're here to share insights and actionable strategies. Education is our passport to the future. Our quote for today is actually from our guest, Michelle McGinnis, the head of special projects at AVID. Michelle says, we recognize the importance of opportunity knowledge for students so that they can imagine themselves in the shoes of future problem solvers. Rena, what do you think of that? Well, I was thinking maybe some of our listeners don't know a lot about the term opportunity knowledge. So in AVID, we talk about how all students need intentional support and mentoring around opportunity knowledge. And that is where students research opportunities, set goals, make choices um, that support their long-term aspirations. And then they successfully navigate transition to the next level. So I kind of see it as like visioning work in a way, but you can't vision something you don't really know about. Um, So I think about how we give students access to learn about all the different amazing opportunities that are available to them, maybe within their community, in the place where they live. So I just think it's it's nice for students to be able to find opportunities that align to their interest and so that they can imagine themselves in that future or even an unknown future, but know that there's a place for them that aligns to their interest. And I think of it a bit as like dreaming, visioning, um, and all wrapped together. So how do we provide that for students so that they have somewhere to grow into? Winston, what about you? Um, I'm, I'm thinking about this in several different ways. It's like from one, there's a, like Peggy McIntosh and her community talks about this idea of DKDK. I didn't know. I didn't know. So it's like not having knowledge that even that knowledge exists. Right. So that's, that's where the opportunity comes, costs come from where students can't model or don't have models for success, right? They don't know how to envision themselves as a part of a success. The second piece that's kind of um, impacting me is that I think sometimes communities who are um, marginalized or experiencing the negative side of society are always having things done for them. This is a powerful act in having students see themselves as not as someone to be sought, be done for, but they have the capacity to do something, to solve a problem, to do something for someone else. So I think there's a power in not knowing or knowing that you are lever- you can leverage your own abilities to do something else for someone. So there's a, uh, there's a bit of power in the like future problem solver, knowing that you can be, and there's a powerful in that you are a problem solver and not that someone has to solve your problems. So I really like the play in how the, those two ideas are being put together. I love that both of you touched on that empowerment piece. It's so important. Mm-hmm. 
And we are really excited to have a very special friend and colleague on the show today, Michelle McGinnis. Michelle, welcome. Woo-hoo! Hi, what, what, what? it's so nice to be here. I miss you guys. It's going to be so much fun. <laughs> For our listeners, Michelle is the head of special projects at Avid Center, and she is actually the reason that our podcast team actually exists. She directs mm-hmm. our program and continues to work tirelessly behind the scenes to make so much great work happen at Avid and through Avid Open Access. So we're so excited to pull her out of the background into the spotlight today so she can talk (laughs) about her own unique journey for her passion from the humanities all the way to a mission of promoting STEM and computer science. So Michelle, welcome so much. Thank you so much for letting me come and join you guys for a conversation. You have such amazing conversations. It's It's an honor to be here with you. So for our listeners, can you just uh, introduce yourself a little bit more and tell them maybe a little bit about yourself? Where'd you grow up? How'd you get to where you are now as, you know, head of special projects at Avid? It's been a long and windy road. <laughs> nice. <laughs> We've the best kind. <laughs> I think everybody has that, especially in education. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I started growing up in Arizona and majority of my family still lives there. And for me, it, coming from a, a Latin community, the ideas that are now driving what the world is looking at today, innovation and what's happening, those were so far from my reality. I was really only exposed to traditional career tracks growing up and uh, had a very strong math phobia that sort of steered me away from early on what STEM and CS could do, even though I was super curious about all of the fun things people were doing in that space when I was little. But I was always told, you're really good at languages and you're really good at literature. Why don't you go in that direction? So that concept of growth mindset really wasn't there when I was growing up. And so it's something that I very much appreciate today. And so because of that, I actually have a PhD in medieval French literature. So that's exactly like STEM. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But but yes, I think it's one of those classic stories of being a lifelong learner, being very curious and blessed in that I was able to find funding to get me through my academic journey. And because I was always told I was good with literature, I was like, okay, great. I like literature. I like French. Let's put that together and go study Knights in shining armor in 15th century Burgundian ducal court narrative. Hmm. It all fits. I promise the STEM, the CS, it comes together. Okay. So first of all, King Arthur, I'm down with, I'm all about all of that. What are you talking about? Burgundian. uh, So I'm just, I am a loss for the knowledge that you just put out into the space. So as a little kid, I like, I definitely have some sense of it. So I just want to understand like, you went from earning a PhD in French medieval literature from one of the best universities from the best city in, in the world, New York, NYU, what, 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 what? Um, <laughs> exactly. Um, what led you in that direction? Other than people telling you like, oh, you're good with language. What about that particular um, era or type of uh, literature? What brought you there? I love that question. And for me, I fell in love with uh, medieval literature 
really because of my professor. So mm. I graduated with my undergraduate degree being very sure that I was going to go off and do my PhD in 20th century feminist studies, focusing on French writers. And then I arrived okay. at my program and realized, uh-oh, the professor I thought I was going to work with just went emeritus, so I got to come up with a different plan. <laughs> And I ended up falling in love with the professors who taught medieval French. I knew absolutely nothing about it, but their approach and the way in which they interacted with their PhD students resonated with me. Whereas some of the other professors, I was just like, mm, this doesn't feel like a good fit. So I fell in love with the people associated with it before I fell in love with the literature itself. Back to relationships. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Do you mind if I ask a follow-up question to that? So you had one goal, one plan, things are supposed to go this way, and then it went left, and then you figured out another path. What did that experience of trying to figure out what next and how to re- bounce back, what did that teach you um, that you apply to your life or apply to your situations? It was one of my very early examples of you have to persist. When you mm. think that you are, when you have a vision of yourself in the future and all of a sudden you, you that is no longer going to be attainable, what elements of that vision really appeal to you? And then how can you keep that, but maintain your flexibility in the face of what everything life throws at you so that you're Mm. constantly looking for what is next, maintaining that curiosity and looking for those hooks that continue forward in your journey. Mm. Thank you. And then as we already mentioned earlier, you had another kind of shift later on in life. And eventually you came to this world of STEM. But how did you eventually shake off your math anxiety and enter into the world of STEM? Oh, I'm still math phobic. (laughs) 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 And I think that's what's so important is that Mm -hmm. we put so many stereotypes and expectations in the world of education. I think that really we need to demystify. And so I am an award-winning interaction designer, which is um, a super fun CS career, but I'm still math phobic. I can tell you in gory detail the exact day in third grade Mm. when all of a sudden math became really scary to me. And Mm. it became so visceral that I always shied away from it because I was constantly getting praise for doing something very different. And the moral to this story is if you are excited or interested in uh, careers associated with STEM and CS, but you're worried that your math skills aren't necessarily there, it's okay because it's not just about math. It's about being able to look at patterns, finding different ideas that most people may overlook. When we talk about data analysis, it's how can you create creatively look at information that takes into account multiple points of view so that you're creating an equitable approach to sharing that information with others. And so there is so much creativity that you can bring into CS and STEM that I think gets overlooked because of our focus in the educational space on passing that algebra math gate that is so often Mm -hmm. the obstacle for a lot of kids to get into more rigorous CS courses. So what was it that, you know, eventually got you to enter into that world of STEM after (laughs) finishing up your PhD program at NYU? It's back to where we started. 
and the reason why I ended up becoming uh, a specialist in medieval French literature, relational capacity. So I ended up running into someone uh, at a dinner party who was sharing with me some of the challenges that they were having in their job. And it just so happens that he worked in the ed tech space at a company called LeapFrog. And he uh, was working with a group of folks in France. It was an affiliate office. And he was saying, you know, they do such wonderful work, but we don't always connect. Our communication styles are so different. What would you do in this situation? And I was like, oh, okay, sure. Let's just chat about this. And uh, he reached out to me the next day and said, do you happen to be interested? (laughs) (laughs) And at the time, uh, it ended up being the perfect opportunity. So it was a chance to bring French together with my interest in culture and learning something completely new. It was still in the educational space, but it was shifting out of academia and really focusing on the littles and how to help build reading comprehension for our youngest learners. And what I recognized was that became an absolute foundational experience in my career because at LeapFrog in the early 2000s, It was a time when you had colleagues coming out of Stanford D School, colleagues coming out of MIT Media Labs, and all of a sudden, I was learning everything that you needed to know about design thinking, about game-based learning, uh, who who was Seymour Papert and why he was so important. (laughs) And uh, it just became an interesting opportunity for various things that I was interested in to intersect at one moment. So you stated that you had esteem issues because you were afraid of STEM. Um, And then you were still pushing kids to be explorers of STEM. That seems counterintuitive. So my question to you is, why do you feel that exposing young people to computer science and STEM is so important? since it goes against the idea of being afraid of this thing or my skill set are not matching. So why is it important to expose them? I love it. For me, especially starting with our youngest learners, it's really building awareness of the value of computational thinking and the critical thinking Mm. mindsets associated with both STEM and computer science. Because I'm a firm believer that it is through computational thinking that we're able to really help develop other literacies in our kiddos, whether we're talking Mm. about reading literacy, math literacy. Once we're able to help students understand that the process that they go through with computational thinking helps them unpack and solve problems across content areas and in the real world, you're really able to help kiddos open up their horizons for what they can potentially mm. do. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, and I'm, I'm I, this is going to, this is a follow-up to that. I, I hear your passion and I personally know you and I know your passion. So I just want to know how does this passion for STEM and CS drive your work here at AVID as part of your push for engaging with communities? It is so critical from my perspective, for students to be able to have an opportunity to learn computational thinking and the analytical skills associated with computing. Because as we look at the future of Mm. what's going to happen five years from now, 10 to 15, 
all of our kiddos are going to need these skills in order to succeed because the majority mm. of jobs are going to be undefined. And with mm. everything that we see happening in the moment with AI, we really need to help our students understand it's not just, it's not about the multiplication tables. It's not about differential equations. It's about how are you a problem solver that can use technology to improve the world? So how are we helping all of our students become those empathetic, ethical problem solvers of the future. And that's why for me, when we think about preparing our kiddos for tomorrow, it's how do we take the foundational skills that they get from STEM and CS and integrate them across content areas so every kiddo has a chance to succeed. I, I love that. Well, you know I love that. I have a passion around that as well. <laughs> uh, Speaking to the quiet. Yeah, and I so much in as AI's rolled out and this has become more of a talked about issue. People are worried about jobs being lost, but I'm thinking of all the jobs that are actually going to be created and what kind of skills students are going to need for those jobs. And I also think we need to add creativity to that as well. So this past year, you've been recognized and have served as a CSTA Equity Fellow and a Cultural Competence and Computing Fellow at Duke University, which were both amazing opportunities. So what have these experiences meant to you and what have you learned from them? It has been amazing to be able to be in the same space with educational leaders from across the country who are doing this exact same thing. Because I think a lot of times what happens for teachers who are specialized in STEM and CS, we very often begin to feel siloed. Because this is something that has not yet been fully integrated across our K-12 curriculum, those teachers who are leading the way can often feel like, oh, this is so much to do. How am I going to accomplish this? And having a space like the CSTA Equity Fellows and the 3C Fellowship at Duke University provides a network of educational leaders across the country who you can lean on in those times when you have a question, when you want additional support, or, hey, you've, you're doing this. I think that's something that I can do over in the work that I want to accomplish. How might we partner together to achieve that? So it's very much been an amazing opportunity to network with educators across the country and to be able to build my voice in this space to share how important it is to do this work so that it doesn't become pigeonholed as an elective. But these are ideas that will really help change how we're educating our kiddos for the future. That's a great point because too often CS is the extra or the other and if we can shift that into the mainstream as something that's just expected of all students, we can make a huge difference. I, I love that idea. I'm going to switch topics just a little bit. Uh, you've described yourself as a proud Mexican-American. How has your background influenced you personally and professionally? So my background plays such an important role to my identity. And really, it's that concept of identity in society that is the through line through all of my work because my PhD, my dissertation in medieval French literature was about representations of identity. And coming from a Mexican-American background, I don't look Mexican, but my sister does. And so our experiences mm. in life from the time that we are very 
very little, have been very, very different. I have been able to make the most out of being a Mexican-American without having the negative impact associated with that Mm. that often happens. And so part of being a Mexican-American meant that I could apply for grants and scholarships to help me get through my academic career. The piece that my sister experienced of having people look down at her or being turned down for opportunities, I never had that experience. And so being a Mexican-American and being an advocate for STEM and CS means how can I help kiddos like me mm. and my sister have more opportunities that they have never even imagined because every single kiddo can do this work. Even if you're math phobic, I totally promise <laughs> you, you can. And mm. there are so many fun and exciting, creative things that a lot of kiddos don't even know about that they can achieve in this space. And so that's why being Mexican American and being very proud of that background is so important to me. So I got a question. Hopefully this comes through. Um, Earlier, we talked about the need to have a vision, something that you can say I can reach to. Right. And you just described how your identity was so valuable to you because it showed you both sides of a double edged sword. Right. So one thing that I want to ask is, especially since you've pushed through and remained in a place that sometimes might not be welcoming to your identities or parts of your identities. What would you say to our listeners out there who don't feel that they belong in the world of STEM or computer science based on their identity? What advice, what words would you like to say to someone who thinks they don't belong to this? I think it's so important to really honor the different aspects of each child's personality. And when that child doesn't have an advocate in their school or at their home or in their community, how can we help kiddos realize that the curiosity and the creativity that they have can be applied in this space? And so and that's why the concept of opportunity knowledge is so important for me because so many students don't know that video games and wanting to build video games is a part of the CS and STEM world. They don't know that the creativity of doing digital-based art, that lives in this realm as well. And so how do we help each of those kiddos bring their full self and their lived experience into the into the classroom so that they're advocating for themselves and beginning to own their own learning process. And so in our world, it's hard to reach directly to students unless you're in that classroom. So the way in which I'm doing this work is how are we providing the knowledge, the experience, and the resources that teachers mm. can use so that they're mm. uplifting every aspect of the kiddos in their classroom so that they're thinking about, hey, what is their experience at home that I can use to help reach this child? What is their passion and purpose? And how can I build that into my 
curriculum so that this becomes a really valuable experience for this child moving forward. And I'm keeping them excited and curious about education so that they can explore all the different opportunities available to them. Mm. 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 Thank you. I, I, I'm just going to let that sit with us for a moment. I love it. And we're going to shift into our toolkit. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. What's in the toolkit? What? What is in the toolkit? What's in the toolkit? Check it out. So I feel like we've had a lot of bits of knowledge drop, but what are maybe some things we want to put in our toolkit for this episode? Can I start? And it's not going to be like a toolkit. It's not like a direct tool. Tool. Like, Is it ever Winston? Never with me. It's always it's it's always a thought. Because if you can't, if sh- if your tools ain't sharp, you ain't doing nothing. <laughs> How do you develop students' belief in their ability? I think that's the core of what um, Michelle is trying to get at in our conversation. Is if you know your students enough, then you can develop their esteem to believe in their ability to transfer that skill. So might be the toolkit, the skill might be have help your kids with transferable skills. But how do you know your students enough to support where they can transfer that skill? So I think that's going into my tool into my hopeful toolkit to think deeper about how to support that transfer. And mine stems from that a little. Um, I might have talked about this before, but just the power of community asset mapping. So wherever you're working, whatever educational space you're in, when we're serving students they in the community they live in, maybe you are part of that community, maybe you're not. Um, but I just find it invaluable to do community asset map and then use that information to really bridge school and community with students. And by community asset mapping, it I think I've mentioned this before, but it's not just about partnerships that you have with maybe like AVID that supports education already. I'm also talking about the local barbershop where communities gather to share stories or the aunties and uncles, maybe there's churches, maybe there's sports teams, all kinds of different things in the community that bring assets to the space and to your students. Yeah, I love that. And you know what, mine is kind of a takeoff of both of yours, maybe a combination of the two. Um, In addition to community asset mapping, it's self asset mapping, right? Like Mm -hmm. what are, what are you good at? What do you have to contribute to a situation? Like Michelle mentioned, you know, she wasn't a STEM expert, but she had communication skills. And then she mm-hmm. also had the French background so that she could work with STEM people in a French speaking world and in an English speaking world and be that bridge between them. That was her asset that she brought to that environment mm-hmm. and recognizing that in the moment and taking advantage of that. We all have something that we can offer. And I think it's important that we recognize that. Mm-hmm. I love that. All right, Michelle, you get to jump in the toolkit too, if you'd like. What's what's something you'd like to leave our listeners with? The value of computational thinking. And I don't think I can say it enough, but how can we integrate computational thinking across content areas K-12 so that we're really helping our students be prepared for what tomorrow brings? 
And those analytical skills are just going to help them flourish in whatever their curiosity and creative creativity chooses for their path forward. And just a shout out to what Rena was saying around com- um, community asset mapping. Yay, barbershop coding. Mm-hmm. Barbershop coding mm-hmm. is a wonderful way to help meet kiddos where they're at. And there's so many other examples that really, how do we build awareness in teachers that wonderful resources exist to help them meet their kiddos? Mm-hmm. So now it's time to do our one thing. It's time for that one thing. One thing. One thing. It's time for that one thing. It's that one thing. So what's one thing that's still running around in your brain? What's something you would like to share with our audience to continue to think about post our conversation right now? Uh, Rena. And Michelle just kind of led up to this, but this, I love how she was talking about ethical, creative problem solvers, but through the use of computational thinking, like that is kind of that anchor or a North Star that we use, but it really can be guided from any area, any content can be used. Um, Computational thinking fits. And if you don't think it does, we can have a personal conversation because I will make it fit. But it, it really does. It's this big umbrella. And I, I just, I'm, I mean, that's part of my work is like, how do we share this with our educators that then can share this with our students um, and make it relevant? Mm. Paul, what are you thinking? Well, I think I totally agree. Computational thinking is such an empowering skill set. And Michelle mentioned it earlier in the age of AI, it's going to be changing so rapidly. We need those problem solving Mm -hmm. skills to kind of think our way through this and, and make sure that we mold AI in a way that's productive and positive for ourselves and our society. It's going to be critical. Uh, It kind of goes with my one thing, which is this whole theme of lifting others up. Uh, I think at one point, Michelle said, you know, we lift teachers up so they can lift kids up. No matter who we lift up, it's going to have a compounding effect on the other people around them. And uh, bring we can through that, we can bring kiddos to what Michelle described as their full self to the learning space and be all they can be. And, man, if we can do that, we are moving mountains. That is an amazing thing. Mm. Absolutely. I totally agree. Michelle, I'm going to go and then I'm going to offer you the last word and the one thing. So... I was listening to a song the other day and it's from Killer Mike and Andre 3000. And the name is the name of the songs is scientists and engineers. And one of the line Andre says, I wish I had friends who were scientists and engineers still to this day. I wish I had friends who were scientists and engineers. And that speaks to what Michelle is saying about how we can push our students to see themselves and their friends in this space, in this area of computer science and computational thinking, because their family and their friends are scientists and engineers. So that's just, that's, that made that connection to me. And I just am thinking about it and appreciate your push, Michelle. I really do. So I'm going to throw it to you. What, what's your la- What's your one thing you'd like? 
My one thing is you guys. I am so <laughs> impressed with everything that you have accomplished in the past couple of years of creating this space where these conversations can happen. And the folks who are listening to you appreciate the dialogue, the ideas, how to take things practically back into the classroom. So I, my one thing is how much I appreciate your compassion, your kindness, and your expertise, and how you three are coming together to share that so beautifully with so many other people. Thank you, Michelle. That was amazing. And we are here because of you lifting all of us up. So thank you for that. This is what happens when you um, answer random emails from someone that you don't know. Like, hey, want to come try something new? <laughs> True story, folks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Michelle. We appreciate you. Aw, thanks, you guys. You're the best. Woohoo! Thanks for listening to Unpacking Education. We invite you to visit us at avidopenaccess.org where you can discover resources to support student agency, equity, and academic tenacity to create a classroom for future-ready learners. We'll be back here next Wednesday for a fresh episode of Unpacking Education. And remember, go forth and be awesome. Thank you for all you do. You make a difference.